Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host of the sports podcast, Mitch Michaels, and as always, thank you for listening, and we have a very good show I'm excited for today. First up, I'm going to be talking to Brandon Marcus about the NBA playoffs, that classic game between Brooklyn and Boston in game one with the Tatum buzzer beater. We talk about how that series looks promising. Minnesota's upset in game one against the Grizzlies. Sixers looking good. Suns looking good. Luka Doncic out. Will he return? There's a lot of storylines and subplots in the NBA playoffs. We also mix in some baseball as well. Good to talk to Brandon Marcus there. And then Jose Youngs from MMA Fighting talks to me. We break down all things combat sports. Earl Spence's classic welterweight performance. Will he fight Bud Crawford next? Tyson Fury, more on the boxing game with Jose. And then, of course, UFC news and notes. It was a couple of great fight cards. We talk about some big ones coming up. Each division, welterweight looking stacked, lightweight, bantamweight. We break down all the news and notes in there as well. It's Brandon Marcus. It's Jose Youngs. This is the Money Mitch Effect. My name is Mitch Michaels. Let's start the show. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect back again. Had to get him back in here for the NBA playoffs. It's Brandon Marcus, friend of the show. Brandon, thanks for coming back. It's your wheelhouse. We got basketball playoffs, baseball started, and I know you're a busy family man now, but are you getting any sleep? Yes, yes. Okay. That is one thing I am absolutely getting now. Um, now that the baby is sleep trained, sleep is not a problem at okay. all. Actually, since like five months or so, we've been able to get a good night's sleep. I mean, he slept last night, I think, from seven to seven. So okay. sleep isn't a problem, which is good. I'm going to I'm gonna say you might. Now, this is me talking, but it sounds like there was some strategic planning that you, you, know, you got it all ready for the NBA playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I got to tell you, as deflated as I am that the Clippers got taken out um, and are no longer in the postseason, I'm not upset in the fact that they probably would have gotten their butt kicked by Phoenix and it would have meant me probably being up till 930, 10 o'clock at the very earliest during these playoff games. So I'm okay with it because of that. Yeah, I wanted to talk there pouring out a little for the Clippers, Um, you know, unfortunately how it went down and and. Actually, the last game itself, Paul George being on the COVID list, and we watched that game, and I thought the same thing that you probably thought, Brandon, and that you know the Clippers just didn't have a guy to really run the offense through a guy in that time. I mean, they fought admirably. Coach Lou did a great job with it, but the Pelican just made plays down the stretch. That Minnesota game definitely felt like it was there for the taking. That would have given them a more favorable matchup. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but obviously playing Memphis more favorable than Phoenix, but... That was the one game where I think you could nitpick maybe some of the rotation, some of the decision. Would have liked to see more Covington out there. Uh, But all in all, it was a hard-fought season for a very injury-depleted Clippers team. Yeah, I mean, if you would have told me that they would have been over 500 with Paul George missing 51 games, I believe it was, Kawhi Leonard missing all 82, uh, Norman Powell getting hurt after three games um, when he joined the Clippers, and having guys in and out of the lineup, whether it's Kennard or Zoo, I mean, every single time someone came back, someone else got COVID, someone else got hurt. It was a really difficult season. And to get that eight spot was an accomplishment for Ty Lu and what he did with a very depleted roster, like you said. And they're set up really well for the future. Um, I mean, you talk about those two games, the Minnesota game, you should have won. I mean, the, the yeah. plan was to take Towns out of the game and it worked to perfection. But they just didn't have a plan B um, once Towns was actually out of the game. It was one of those things where 
you took him away, but now what? And they just didn't have something for that. And like you said, Covington's a guy that probably should have played more when Towns was off the floor since they had the ability to go a little bit smaller and spread the floor and saw what Covington did when he played. Um, and then they blew the game again, uh, I mean, against New Orleans, where they came back and they were ahead and they just ran out of gas. And if you mentioned Paul George. Uh, Luke Kennard, too. He was out for both those games and not having that body to give you 10 to 15 minutes for some guys to play 40 plus. And it was really t- difficult when Ty Lue only trusted, I think, two guys off the bench. And it makes things really difficult in a winner go home against a New Orleans team that was a little bit deeper. I'm with you on uh, all that and the future for the Clippers looking good. Uh, although, I mean, we it looks good, but we want to know about Kawhi. I mean, that's just the, the question. So. Yeah, no, it's always about Kawhi. I mean, and nobody knows about Kawhi because Kawhi doesn't want anybody to know about Kawhi. So I mean, we had no idea whether he was possibly going to come back this year, if there was even a shot of it. Nobody knew. And he keeps his medical stuff really tight to the vest. And we'll see what happens. I mean, you would assume that with this offseason, he'd be able to recover pretty well. And then Paul George would be able to recover pretty well. And Norman Powell. And then maybe re-sign Robert Covington. And you've got a really scary team. Um, the one thing is, can you be good in the reg- regular season? Can those guys stay healthy? And that's always been the thing with the Clippers. And whether it's in the postseason with uh, Chris Paul and Blake Griffin getting hurt in the series against Portland, or it's this year yeah. where Kawhi Leonard was out the entire year, Paul George gets COVID uh, the day before or the day of a uh, win or go home game. So you just got to stay healthy, and that's the name of the game. Depth of the conference, especially important for getting you know, having a good regular season, season and getting into the playoffs and a good seed. Uh, Clippers not in the playoffs, neither are the Lakers. Just want to also keep reminding people that. Uh, but as we look forward to the teams that did make it, a couple of days in, some teams have played one, some teams have played two. A lot of great storylines so far. There's been classic games. There's been teams making statements, blowouts, injuries. We've had everything so far. What stood out to you? We'll start there. The floor is yours. Which game, which team, which player? What's the number one thing that's made you go wow in the first couple of days? Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. And that play, I mean, just unbelievable to be able to catch and spin at the same exact time. And uh, for Marcus Smart to not take a stupid shot with a double team there and split two defenders and find Tatum. I mean, and Kyrie, man, he is, say what you will about him off the floor and uh, and anything that happens there. But dude is an absolute baller. And that series, I really hope goes seven games because it's two tremendous teams. And it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun when you have good basketball teams, and that's very well could be an Eastern Conference Finals type matchup that goes the distance. And so we'll see. Um, it, 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 that's going to be the number one series to watch, I think. And it showed in Game One. Uh, I think the one thing that go uh, well, let's talk about that one first because then yeah. I have other series thoughts too. No, I, I I agree. I mean, Tatum is keeps making leaps. Like he yeah. he just looks like he's next up in that in that legacy of great players. And it was a great job by Smart, by the, the defensive stand before that to double Kyrie and not let him get. He was insane that game. I mean, they kind of took Durant out of his rhythm, and, and, you know, we'll get into going forward. But Kyrie was making some double clutch shots. He was getting everywhere on the floor. He was, uh, it was insane. I think, though, that what makes me so excited about this series and why I'm with you when we want seven is you watch that game. It's classic Celtics first buzzer beater at home ever, which is hard to believe. But you watch that game, Brandon, and you think there's still room for a lot of adjustments to be made. Like there's a lot of chess pieces and chess moves to be made. You know Brooklyn's going to do what they can to get 
Kevin Durant involved more. Dragic was a factor, which we hadn't seen coming in a while. Uh, they can Each team can kind of go small. Brown, smart, who just won defensive player of the year, getting smarter and turning himself into a good three-point shooter. I'm excited to see where this goes. Will Robert Williams come back? Will Ben Simmons come back? I mean, there's just so many variables that we don't know. And I'm with you. I don't really have a dog in this fight. I just want to see seven games. Dude, you just mentioned something that, I mean, some people are talking about, but not a ton, is the Ben Simmons factor. I mean, what happens when he comes back? Is he actually going to come back for game four or game three? And what happens to Brooklyn in that scenario? What role does he play? Because as a facilitator and someone that can be great defensively against a guy like Tatum, he can make a big difference in that series. But will the series be 2-1 at that point? Will it yeah. be 3-0 at that point? I, I have a counterpoint for that. Two counterpoints. And I agree. Unbelievable facilitator and really great defensively. He's going to be left wide open. We know that. Oh, he's and I hope he's, been, I hope he's been working on his foul shots. Yeah, he's useless <laughs> offensively and he can't shoot free throws. So there, there's no doubt about that. But they're not going to foul him in the second quarter. So he's he'll be useful yeah. at for three quarters, three That's, and a half quarters. It's tough to come back in the playoffs. And again, I don't know. This is a world-class athlete. These are all, for the most part, world-class world class athletes. Yeah. You'd like to think that if they've been working out and they're you know, actually training and getting back, that they could contribute. But we'll see. I, I just think that you're right. That game was incredible. The fact that the Celtics, like game one is never really, is never a must win or never that big of a, much of a crucial game. I do think, though, that it meant more for the Celtics to win given how that game went and they were up by double digits in the late third. If they would have blown that one at home, that might have you know, stuck them a little deeper. Oh, I agree. I think it's always huge for the home team to get that game one win. And so for Boston to get that win with KD playing as poorly as he did, because you know he's not going to shoot that poorly in game two, it gives you a shot because you would assume that KD will shoot better in game two. Kyrie probably not as well. Um, but the, the KD factor is huge. And so if KD plays better, then Brooklyn very well could take game two and you lose that game and all of a sudden you're down 2-0 going to Brooklyn and you're in big trouble. I always say, too, the, you know, these series, you might not say it's a draw that you like. It, it would have been easier for these teams to match up with somebody else, but whoever does win this series is going to be coming feeling as confident as can be. So I think that's, a, that's an important part, too. The other thing that stood out to me, I agree with you on that, the, the other thing that stood out to me with, Apologies to the Suns. I mean, I think we knew that they were a great team going in. Yeah, we uh, knew they would. They would. I don't. Win. Yeah, like I don't. That, I think there was going to be four games, maybe five at most, against the Clippers. Yeah, so that that wasn't a wow for me because we knew they were the best regular season team. I'm starting to think though that I sold the Warriors short a little bit. That's the other thing I've learned. Yeah, I can see what you're talking about. It's it's difficult because this is one of the first times that they're finally back and healthy and playing like they did during the part of the season where they were unbelievable. And then all of a sudden, Draymond Green got hurt, and that impacted them a lot. And then obviously, Steph got hurt as well. And so without those two guys, they're terrible. Yeah. And now Steph is back. I mean, they were bad because Steph was gone. But mm-hmm. when Steph and Draymond were healthy, they were a top two team in the Western Conference. So they're playing back to their ability. And I think people kind of forgot that they were that good. And then also going up against Jokic, it, it kind of throws in your mind, oh, well, you know, the possible MVP going against Golden State, there could be a shot there. But And, you know, Ky- uh, Steph Curry coming off injury, is he going to be as good? And all he does is go and score um, off the bench 34 points in 22 minutes. I mm. mean, just unbelievable. So, yeah, they're showing that they're for real. Um, the one thing from that series I think is a little bit tired in terms of the narrative is that 
Jokic is not the MVP because all of a sudden they're down 2-0 to Golden State. Like it's a regular season award. And in the postseason, you take out the best player and make everybody else beat you. And nobody else is on that team to help Denver. So it just puts into perspective how much Jokic has done during the regular season to get them to the spot. Yeah, well, that, that's a very good point. I think it's a regular season award. It's like the Heisman Trophy. It's like all these, like, you're not, unless it's like a playoff award, this really doesn't matter, would be my Jokic, uh, you know, point on that. Yeah. That that said, I think where I'm at with the Warriors being that they're having, you know, it's the Jordan Poole factor. It's players that are stepping up, Wiggins with 24. It's not having to be Curry, Splash Bros, or Bust. Now, granted, when they get, if they were able to get to the conference finals and they match up against Phoenix, I think there's going to be issues for them, just like there's issues with every team. But the Warriors definitely have a chance in a in a Western conference that appears to be outside of Phoenix in just a free-for-all, and we can get into why that is, because Minnesota in game one over Memphis, granted, that didn't really feel like it was, you know, anything fluky. We'll see how Memphis adjusts tonight as we record this, but Anthony Edwards, I can't gush enough about what he does, and Oddly enough, it wasn't just one player. That that team looked like it was composed in a big road playoff game. I, I still like Memphis to bounce back, but Minnesota, you know, they're getting their first taste of the playoffs, and they look well, way more composed than I thought they would be. Say what you will about Patrick Beverly, but the guy just knows how to win, and he has missed the playoffs, I believe, once in his career, and that was when he was hurt. So he is a guy that gets the postseason and he's able to put a team together. And Minnesota had the pieces. I mean, they had some youth there with Edwards in town. They've got some good guys in Vanderbilt. I mean, they've got some dudes there. McDaniels It's just about putting it all together. And you add in D'Angelo Russell, who's a vet and a guy who has been cast off different places, including the Lakers. And you add in Pat Bev, who's been great defensively and gets rebounds for a guard, which is crucial, especially in the postseason. And you've got a recipe for success. And I'm not quite sure what Memphis was doing in that first game because you saw what the Clippers did against Towns and Memphis did nothing to stop Towns. And so we'll see if game two, perhaps they try something a little bit different. Memphis has the pieces, though, man. I'm not counting them out. I think that is a good game one win for Minnesota. I think it's probably top three series to watch uh, because it could go six or seven. And, I mean, John Moran's going to have himself a game at some point. He is going to carry this team at some point. Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to help carry the team at some point. But it's a good series, and uh, kudos to Minnesota. I mean, who would have thought last year, remember, when Minnesota made a coaching change in the middle of the season? Yeah. And we're all like, what the hell's going on with them? To get to this point, it's remarkable. Yeah, and I, I fully expect John Morant and Memphis to bounce back. I agree it's going to be a great series. Uh, I, I just wanted to go back. Minnesota, and there's been some flack, you know, especially on the Internet, about the celebration after they beat your Clippers. I thought it was pretty straightforward. I think the reason why people were poking fun was, A, Beverly would, could be just really obnoxious out there. It's part of what makes him who he is. And it was the fact that Carl Anthony Towns is celebrating after the worst game that we all saw him play. I don't think it was so much the celebration itself. I think it was those two elements. Well, and also you got to give credit to Minnesota. I mean, it's, it's a city that's yeah. been starving for mm-hmm. playoff action. And so they finally get to the playoffs. Let them celebrate. Yeah. What, what's the problem? I, I just was it over the top. Sure. But I mean, let them celebrate. Yeah. Why, why I, can't we let people do something good and celebrate? I don't get why we got to rain on people's parade. I guess I was more on the camp of like, if you're Carl Anthony Towns, I don't know that I would be going full celebration after that game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he the, was obviously disgusted with himself. I think the funniest <laughs> thing is when he was asked, I think the next day 
um, about the defense on him. He's like, yeah, they didn't take me out. Like, <laughs> well, that's, I mean, come on. Uh, Brandon Marcus here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, other series to kind of keep an eye on and watch as we go around the first couple of days of the NBA playoffs. Shocking or maybe not shocking, Brandon, what Philly's done to Toronto in two games? Just clean them out? Yep, that was going to be the next series I wanted to chat about. I mean, full credit to Philadelphia because, A, Everyone was unsure what Harden and Bede would do in the playoffs and B would Doc Rivers tank themselves, but take them. I mean, let, let's be honest, though. They're not in a 3-1 series yet. Once it gets to a 3-1 series, that's where Doc Rivers shines. So <laughs> All the way back to the Orlando days, too. It, it's possible, man. It, it's very possible. We get to 3-1 and all of a sudden you see Scotty Barnes come back and they start to get maybe a little bit healthier. And Tana, I mean, Toronto can make some moves, but. Give credit to Philly, man. They have been absolutely dominant. I thought Toronto was going to give them a hard time, and that's been the opposite so far. I mean, Toronto has been a very shallow team this season. I mean, Nick Nurse doesn't go more than two or three guys off his bench. It's more of like a Preston, um, Thad, and then a little bit of Boucher, and that's it, really. And so they are very, very thin, and you lose a couple of guys like they did yesterday, and you're in trouble. I mean, you're in a lot of trouble. And so Gary Trent Jr. played just nine minutes. And you look at Barnes, he wasn't there. So we'll see what happens in Toronto. I think it's going to be a whole different story in Toronto because, A, I think you'll get foul calls. I don't think MB will get as many fouls. Um, B, I think that not having Fiebel will mm-hmm. have a little bit of an impact. Um, and C, Doc Rivers is going to possibly play DeAndre Jordan at some point. He hasn't yet. But he's going to play DeAndre Jordan at some point, you would think. And so it's it could be happening. But, Why would he play him? I mean, I know what you're saying, but it's funny. It's Because just, he, he's Doc Rivers. He, he's Doc Rivers. He does things in the playoffs that you scratch your head at. But, dude, Embiid's the man. He yeah. is so freaking good. I mean, it's it's wild to watch him. He is – the comparison's been made, and it's true. He is our version of Shaq and what he's able to do uh, on the floor. And he gets triple teamed and fouled, and he's the man. He's got a little Hakeem in him, too, so I, I like his overall game. Uh, I'll give credit to Philly in, in a large regard. They are the aggressor this series. They've come out guns blazing. They've done a great job. Um, I do think, though, when you, whenever you have a series, regardless of what the matchup is on paper, I mean, Toronto had three guys get injured in game one. I mean, that is just brutal for a team, as you said, that was very shallow coming into the playoffs. I do think that the foul calls, while – I wouldn't say I fully agree with them. I, obviously, Philly has been the aggressive team. That Their reputation is that, that those people are going to try to do, crave contact, get to the line. But, and you're on that, like, it's a seven-game series. I love it. Like, it's no, you know, Philly is kind of feeling great right now. We'll see what happens in these games in Toronto. But if it's 3-1 back to going back to Philly, you're still on the fence, huh, Brandon? That's like, ah, this is going to be tough. Dude, 3-1, you never know. A series is not over until it's over. And yeah. as, as cliche as that is, and you lose game five at home, and all of a sudden you uh, get a little bit tight because Toronto could win game six, and then all of a sudden game seven is in Philly. Anything happens in the game seven. Well, props to Maxi for stepping up for Philly as well. I mean, he has just become the guy and, you know, putting a little less pressure, in my opinion, on Tobias Harris. But, yeah, that's he been something them. to see. Hey, listen, Tobias Harris is another guy that Philly fans have been all over this season, including a friend of the pod, Ron um, Schiltz. I mean, he he has hated Tobias Harris this season, but Tobias has been good the first couple of games. He's done some stuff they need to do, and so I know that he has not been the guy that everyone was hoping for with the money, and that's not his fault. It's not Tobias's mm-hmm. fault that he's paid that amount of money. Um, I mean, he's, he's a good ball player, and now he's being put in a situation where he's basically the number three option, so it's... 
is what it is. And kudos yeah. to him for being being there and contributing. Do you see any reason at all in the next couple of days for the other two series in the East to be drama filled whatsoever? I can loop them together: Miami, Atlanta, Milwaukee, Chicago. No, no. Yeah, me I either. Mean, I, I would say Chicago could have a shot because of how they played at the end against Milwaukee, but uh, they've shown all year Chicago has that they can't beat top teams. So no, I think that Milwaukee's going to win pretty easily. And I think Miami's going to win pretty easily. I definitely feel like Miami Atlanta, it's not a good matchup for Atlanta. I just don't. And I know game one was on short rest and they, they, they put them out there early on Sunday. Miami's too good defensively. Yeah. That's what I was getting at. And you know, there's going to be, it's, I don't think it'll be a sweep. I think Trey young will get one at home and I think that's what's going to happen. But uh, Milwaukee though, I, I was more worried for Chicago after that one. Cause I thought they played well and gave them their best shot. Milwaukee was, you know, has that reputation in years past for losing a lot of game ones, but they got, they got Giannis and they've got drew holiday. Who's a beast on the perimeter. And I just don't know Chicago who ended the season terribly how they're going to be able to respond and, and deal with the defending champs. Yeah. I mean, you could go back and say, listen, uh, Chicago scored 86 points. They're not going to do that again. And Vooch is not going to be nine of 27. DeRozan's not going to be six of 25. Levine's not going to be six of 19. And you're right. I mean, they'll do better offensively, but at the same time, I mean, Milwaukee committed 20 plus turnovers in that game, which they won't do uh, going forward. Normally Middleton takes care of the ball better than he did. So I just think that Chicago hasn't shown us this year that they can beat top teams. And as good as that trio is that I mentioned of Levine and Vooch and DeRozan, I just don't think they're going to have enough for Milwaukee. Milwaukee's too good. There, there aren't very many. I mean, there are a couple of series here where it just feels like it's going four or five games max. I mean, you, the Phoenix one we talked about, too, mm-hmm. like four series, three, four series that you really don't need to pay attention to. I agree with that. Oddly enough, one that you do have to pay attention to, the last one, but might not be my favorite to watch, is that Dallas and Utah. We'll see what state we get when we get Luka back and what he looks Not like. getting Luka back. Okay. People can keep saying, you know what, apparently he might return in Game 3 or, or, game three or Game 4. I'd well, be surprised if it's Game 3. My, my, like thing is, my thing is, and I understand like this comes out, he might return. We know what that can mean. But what are we getting when he does come back? And that, that's yeah, where, Exactly. You know, so. Yeah. Exactly. He he could come back, sure, but he's is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be at 60%, 50%? Because as good of a ball player that Luka is, if he's playing at 50%, 60%, that's not going to be enough, man. That's just not going to be enough. Yeah, I just think, though, if, you, if you're Utah and you lose this series to a team without or with a very hobbled for part-time Luka, I don't, is this it for the core of that team? Yeah. Uh, it's and, not a ringing endorsement. I can hear in your voice at the very least. It's not like, hey, bring it back. Let's go. No, with Utah, you never bring it back. Yeah. I mean, it's a, they just continue to blow fourth quarters. It's crazy. Uh, they're, they're probably the worst fourth quarter team in the world. They, they continue. They blew it to the Clippers last year. And I, I think you need to blow up Gobert and Mitchell at some point. I think you need to because it, have you seen the numbers in terms of the number of passes from Mitchell to Gobert this season? No, but I'm, I'm can I, imagine it's not good. How many of you think they're averaging Gobert to Mitchell passes or Mitchell to Gobert passes rather per game in an entire game? Yeah. Uh, well, based on the tone of your voice, I would go single digits. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's five. <laughs> yeah. Not good. I, yeah, there's something there, uh, but Mitchell might want out as is Quinn Snyder's rumored to not be. And I think he's a good coach. I just think, you know, it, it gets stale after a while, and there's ceilings for a reason on these teams. And 
this might be it. Um, yeah, it's unfortunate. But Dallas, I, this doesn't bode well for their long-term playoff success, even if they get by Utah. A calf strain stuff. I mean, we've seen it in the past, and, and we know you have to be very delicate with this given what could happen and also how much basketball's left in young Luca's career. Exactly. I mean, you don't want to bring him back just to try and, you know, try and beat the Jazz and all of a sudden get your butt kicked by the Suns in the next round, you know. So it's, it's you got to look at the long term here with Luca. They had a great season. To be the four seed is very impressive, but you don't want to run him into the ground. I know he wants to come back, but you really have to be careful. Well, Brandon Marcus, pleasure talking basketball with you on the Money Mitch Effect. Before I let you go, I got to get your your Angels update as we start a new year, new campaign for the Halos. I'm going to be honest, man. We were at a point a couple of games ago where I uh, I said, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. Joe Madden walks a guy with the bases loaded. <laughs> yeah. It was like, what, the third inning? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm out. I can't do this anymore. They're walking guys with the bases loaded. You know, they're, uh, Otani can't hit uh, at times. Trout and Rendon were off to slow starts. Uh, I was very, very upset. And then the broadcast has just been dreadful so far. So but, but without all that, I was like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then all of a sudden, they just keep winning. They beat Texas. We'll see what happens. I don't know how they're in first place um, going into this week. Yeah. But we'll see. It, I got to tell you, the one thing that really brings me joy is Noah Syndergaard. And if he's able to stay healthy, this team has a chance to make the playoffs. It really does depend on that number two pitcher. Because Otani's going to be solid. If they can get Syndergaard there, plus the bullpen, which the back end is pretty good. They have three or four guys that are very reliable. Uh, then they got something because Otani's there. Who knows with Trout? I think he, he's lucky to escape injury on that hit-by-pitch over the weekend. But you knew that at some point was Trout was going to get hurt because he always does. They're, they're uh, giving you hope, Mitch. And then all of a sudden they're going to shut you down. It, it's a, it's a year, yearly thing. Two things, though, I do want to point out. One being... It's always been pitching, and if you say that there is pitching now, okay, maybe this is a different Angels yeah. team. I also do think the general picture of the American League being that some of the old established teams aren't in their best form. Yes. Houston's not exactly going to be as, on paper at least, doesn't look as strong as they had in previous years. You can say that with like Yankees, Red Sox, other teams, but I just think that there's going to be a couple different teams in the mix, especially in that AL West. I do think Texas is going to have trouble this year. Seattle might be competitive. Oakland, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> they trade everyone away, but they're still battling. But I think Angels can be in the mix late and, you know, maybe push for a playoff spot. I don't think – moral of the story is don't, I don't think you should be out 11 games in. You know? no, well, listen, it's not 11 games in. It's, uh, it's, I think they don't think they've been in the playoffs since 2014. So it's eight years that I've had mm -hmm. to uh, deal with having the best player in baseball and getting no reward whatsoever from it. It's – disheartening but to be at this point there's no reason why you should not be a top two team in the ALS no reason there I mean, you you've got the guys now it's about putting it all together and hoping you stay healthy if you don't stay healthy you're screwed yeah. but if you're stay if you stay healthy with the expanded playoffs there's no reason why you shouldn't make it I see a lot of symmetry too with like the Seattle Mariners who got really close last year to making the playoffs and both these teams could make that yeah. next step I feel like the Mariners are just a couple of years away. I mean, they've got these young prospects that are now in their lineup. I just feel like they're a year or two away. But I'm always wrong on them. They always seem to win games. I didn't think that they don't think they're going to win. I think it came down to the last day of the season, right, last year? Yeah, so. yeah it, it came down to the wire. So we'll see. We'll hey, see. I don't think, honestly, I don't think it matters in the AL West because I think they're better teams. I think the White Sox, the Blue Jays um, are better teams in uh -huh. the AL. But still. We'll see. 
Well, this is fun. We'll have to talk again before the NBA finals get going. Uh, yeah. Brandon, pleasure as always. Thanks for joining the show. Uh, and I'm glad you're getting some sleep. But, uh, you know, take some time to uh, enjoy some sports there. Thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. Of course. Always a pleasure, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Huge thanks to Brandon Marcus for his insight, his excellent insight in the NBA and still sticking with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. So we'll have to monitor that too. But always a pleasure talking to B-Mark on this show. Now we're going to combat sports with Jose Youngs. He's a writer, podcast host, contributor for MMA Fighting. We break down the boxing world, Spence's dominance. Crawford up next. Fury's fighting this week, his heavyweight title fight. And we have a lot of UFC news and notes. How good Volkanovski looks and uh, Jameev, that Burns fight we can finally get a chance to talk about. There's a lot to discuss, even as Red Sox get brought up. I can assure you that it's Jose Youngs from MMA Fighting now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect, back after a couple months away, a couple months on the road, just making towns left and right. It's, from, <laughs> it's Jose Youngs from MMA Fighting. Jose, welcome back to the Money Mitch Effect. What's up, man? I can't even remember the last time I was on. It's kind of all been a blur. Well, it's... I've been home for... I got back from Jacksonville, went straight to San Diego like the next day for a couple days, came back. So I think I've been home for a week, maybe less than... So I've been home for five days, and that's five. the most consecutive days I've been home since January. <laughs> you are like a like a wrestler now. Like you're basically... Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think it's good, though, and I, and I kind of, you know... I like these these chats we have when we're kind of in between a lot of big seismic events. Yeah. We can recap, we can project a little bit. Uh, and I know, first of all, I wanted to talk boxing, uh, which we're kind of, I mean, if you looked at the schedule recently, I'll start there. I mean, we're going to get to the Spence fight in a second, but that was like the first of like five or six weeks of just great fights coming up like back to back to back. Yeah, man, it doesn't. It, it helps that the UFC has a couple like weaker cards in between pay-per-views. Uh, combine that with the NBA NBA playoffs rolling, the the boxing world is about to be set on fire. Hopefully, with some some high level matchups. But as we all know, we we're probably never gonna get any of the matchups we want. So pretty much, we're tuning in to watch our one specific fighters over and over and over. I feel like we might we're gonna get some of the fights we want. It's like they're just they're just giving us some pieces of candy, but not the whole you know not the whole sure. ball, so to speak. Sticking with the Easter theme. Uh, Earl Spence's fight. I, I do want to mention that. I mean, the guy is just is just remarkable. It's unbelievable. Uh, he's unbelievable. What he did to Ugas. I mean, he didn't even make him. You know, it looked so one sided. His eyes was basically swollen shut. But uh, Jerry World fight. And I know you. I know you saw what I did, which was the ent- ent- entrance, the intro, with Big Tuck oh, yeah. wrapping him out. And I, I'll say this for people. And I wasn't the biggest. Like I'm not super familiar with Big Tuck's music, but. Knowing that he's from Dallas, I say this is somebody from Cleveland, and, and what, no, I know Stipe always comes out Machine Gun Kelly and whatever. I'm not, you know, really a fan of that, but there is something about the loyalty of coming out to your hometown's music in your hometown, and uh, you could tell that Spence was on one for that fight, and it was just remarkable to see. It was from the moment he walked out to the moment that you know fight was stopped. It was just a clinic, and I don't use that word lightly in boxing, but he was the superior fighter, and he was unstoppable. Oh yeah, and it, it Bellator does the same thing. Like they they usually get like some sort of musician to walk out with them. Like Skepta will walk out with Michael Venom Page, and for people that follow me on Twitter, you know I'm a big 
I am a massive skeptic mark to use a wrestling term, and then I can't remember who walked out AJ McKee this past weekend, but it wasn't skeptic. I'll tell you that much. But I wish the UFC would do that sometimes. But I do like the entrance to the crowd. Uh, it makes the the big pageantry one, like what they did for Connor and Chad Mendes that one time, that much more exciting. Oh, you know who walked him out? It was OT. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Skeptic still better. Yeah, I'm I'm agreeing with you there. Um, you know the the fight we all want to see in this division, obviously no brainers. Bud Crawford. Um, Ugh. they're they're getting closer into calling each other out. But here's where, and I know it's boxing. I know we've waited for a while, and I know it's like a lot of fights that we just think we're never going to see. I'm optimistic on two fronts, Jose. One being they're still, if they're not at their peak, they're very close to it. I think that they're still fighting at an unbelievably high level. And part two being, I'm starting to kind of see the promoters interact a little bit too. Like in the video of them meeting a couple months ago, I think it was, you had Bob Arum in the in the, uh, in the shot as well. So I feel like we're going to get to a point where this fight happens. I think it's just like pulling teeth, unfortunately. Well, I believe, didn't Bud Crawford split from top rank after his last fight so he's he's a free agent right now is he yeah not? but there yeah he is and i think and i think that's like the canelo method right where you kind of yeah. just your name has become the brand and you can put yourself yeah. on the open market which is better for all these things to happen i just don't know what either guy has to prove and, and can't even accomplish at this point you know other than just the, the only yeah. themselves like the mm-hmm. only one the only fight the other one can make to cement their legacy is them and it doesn't have the luster of the Man- pa- Pacquiao Mayweather, but like, how long have we been like? When I, I was living in LA, still when we were talking about Spence and Crawford, and we're still, we're still like maybe a centimeter closer to that finally happening. <laughs> every inch counts, or every centimeter counts. True, true, true. But but looking at it hypothetically, fantasy booking, who do you favor going in? Like, if you had to, I mean, I know we're not making picks officially because I was, I've Ooh. gone back and forth like fifty times. I still. I, I was Crawford for the longest time, size, age, yeah. all those things. I think I might be Spence now, but but it's so close in my mind. Wow. Um, yeah, for you, it's tough, man. Because there was a point in time I thought Bud Crawford was the best boxer on planet Earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the best boxer on planet Earth at one time. Um, my heart says Crawford. I feel like he's kind of gotten shafted in a lot of these negotiations, but Spence is. But that split decision against Porter's this weighs on my mind from a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, I rewatched that. I don't that know, fight. man. I, I think that's about as close. That's about as close to fifty-fifty yeah. as I can think. I rewatched that fight. I didn't think it was a split decision. I thought it was a very close fight. Um, and I did actually, I think both those guys, it might have actually been Crawford who brought up the point when they were having their little, you know, back and forth was you can't really compare. Like if you beat the same guy, I mean, I know that was different, but it's like oh, a certain type of knockout versus a finish, you know, they're both yeah. beating everybody is what the point is. So, hey, the welterweight division looks pretty good with those two guys at the top. We're praying for that fight. Uh, but we got a heavyweight title fight this Saturday. So it just goes on. We got Tyson mm. Fury back in the ring against a guy who you've, Last time we chatted, well, well, long time ago, might even been a year. You were like, "Hey, don't, don't, you know, don't sleep on this guy." Dylan White's tough. Now, are you still in the camp that this could be a surprisingly? Yeah, close I'm fight? not gonna, I'm not gonna pick, I'm not gonna pick Dylan White to win. I think, as I've said, I think I've said it on this show. Like Tyson Fury might be the most talented heavyweight in the history of boxing. Um, yeah, he talks a lot, and everyone kind of views him as kind of like a cartoonish character. But you can't look past his skills. The man is a six foot nine monster who boxes like he's a featherweight so uh 
Tyson Fury is another breed altogether, but Dillian White is what, for the last five, seven years, been the fourth best heavyweight in the world after Anthony Joshua and uh, Deontay Wilder, and he's fought in the the who's who. Like who he's he's like he's he he destroyed Derek Chisora in the eleventh round. Like yeah, he lost to Anthony Joshua, but who hasn't lost to Anthony Joshua? The man is actually fighting high level opponents. Uh, I know uh, Pavetkin knocked him out bad in one of the craziest knockouts I have ever seen in my entire life. But then he just turned around and got the revenge right there. Uh, with like a, like he beat him faster in the rematch than he got knocked out in the first fight. And then Pavet, yeah, I know Pavetkin's old and this and that, but uh, I was, ex- when, when they were doing the Dillian, when they were talking about Fury and Joshua for a long time, and then it looks like we were about to get it. And then Fury ended up having to rematch Wilder. And then he said, after I beat Wilder, I'm going to fight Dillian White. I'm like, honestly, that's the only fight I would accept yeah. outside of Anthony Joshua. Because I for for a long time, too, like when it was like the top three were kind of tied up with each other, like Anthony Joshua was waiting for Fury and Wilder, and Wilder was waiting for the, the mandatories and this and that. I wanted Dillian White to fight Andrew Ruiz for a long time. Uh, that's not happening anytime soon because Andrew Ruiz is kind of an idiot when it comes to his negotiation. Now he's backed himself into back-to-back fights that nobody wants <laughs> one of which is against a kickboxer on Triller so but Dillian White is a monster man and you have to I think what something that people aren't really talking about is Tyson Fury fought Deontay Wilder three times in three hellacious fights well, that's a lot rounds. of damn <laughs> that's a lot of heavy rounds a lot of heavy punches especially yeah everyone talks about that first fight when he got knocked down how about that third fight though? Like, like there's that gif out there of like a literal shockwave going down Tyson Fury's body from the top. I don't of know how head. he like, finished. What was that? The I fifth, don't know how the many people. Round? I mean, I don't know how he finished the round. He got knocked something down like twice. that, and it, it it it's all a blur. It felt like one long one long round because yet, every fight was yeah. absolutely epic. You have to wonder when that's going to catch up. Yeah, yet in those last couple rounds, and I agree with you, he was it was a complete war. He was carving Fury's face or Wilder's face up, excuse me. So yeah. it was it yeah. was a testament there. I don't know if we see Wilder ever again. We'll see what the future has in store for him. You know, that's another one. But I, I think what we're getting to in this division, I think it is a tough fight for Fury, but he has passed every test since he's come back in his whole career really with flying colors. I just don't think he's a guy that overlooks fights. And I think he's locked no. in until until I'm proven wrong, and that's the beauty of this sport. All it takes is one. But uh, you know, and, and Joshua's going to try to get his title back against Usyk, who who has you know he got the special leave to leave the Ukraine to train to have this fight, and you know, like we've said before, Joshua is, is a heck of a fighter. He's avenged the loss before, but this cat looks totally different. Who he's going against? And this wasn't a flash knockout like we've seen in boxing no. UFC. This wasn't, you know, he didn't. He might not have come in at his best shape, but it wasn't because of that. He got carved up for the entire fight. It was a 9-3 scorebook, and I think two of the three judges in, as far as rounds go. So we'll see. I'm not optimistic that Joshua gets the title back against this guy, but, hey, if anybody can do it, it's probably Anthony Joshua. Yeah, Alexander Usyk is... Just like the fight that everyone wants, like the fight that will draw the most interest in terms of eyeballs and money is Fury Joshua. I don't even think that needs titles on the line 
to no. sell. Not at, not like, at Wembley or not at wherever they no, want to have no, it. You know. No, it's it would have to be at Wembley. Like it would they would be so stupid to hold it anywhere else. But I digress because the Saudi Saudi money talk yeah, Saudi money say. talks oil money talks. But Usyk Josh Usyk and Fury, if you're just a fan of like the actual sport of boxing, like watching, like you know the technical abilities of two men, wouldn't be surprised at that either. Yeah, Fury Usyk, and, and and I'll I'll give props to Usyk. He gave up an undefeated cruiserweight title at, de, career after cleaning out that division because he wanted to test himself against the he, top heavyweights in the world. So that's a fun fight, a lot of fun heavyweight fights. Uh, Jose Young's M from MMA fighting here on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's transition to UFC, and we can work a little bit backwards with some fights and some storylines. But you were at two seventy three, which. Mm-hmm. It was a good card. I mean, it, it was it was an unpredictable card. It has it up. It had its ups and downs. Had its lopsided fights. Had its chaos in there. Uh, and you know what I want to talk about first, and that's that Burns Tremea fight because mm-hmm. that was like I'll, I'll I'll throw it to you on this, but for Tremeyev, this is about as good of a sign for not really having like your A game or you know because clearly you could listen to the corner. They were upset. There were some issues with how he was fighting, the strategy, things he was doing. But he proved the one thing that we didn't really know about him going in because he was just killing everybody was can he take a beating? Can he get rocked and still fight well? And so he answered that test. So I know it wasn't his best fight. Credit to Burns for, for being the warrior that he is. But he did answer that question in there, and he proved a lot of people that he was tough. And, you know, as the great Jim Ross said, he's got some stake in there with the sizzle. So I, I was pretty impressed with that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it just the only stat you need to hear is Hamzat Shemaev absorbed more punches. Gilbert Burns landed more punches in that one fight than Hamzat had it absorbed his entire career to that point. Like that was essentially a welterweight version of Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler. That like yeah. that's the fight. That's the best fight of the year right now. Hamzat and Gilbert. And the only knock I have on it is it wasn't five rounds. Gilbert Burns asked for five rounds. It didn't happen. I don't. Uh, yeah, that second round might have been when he, he could probably do that same set for just the second round when Burns was kind of yeah. off on him. Yeah, yeah, and it was and Hamza himself said that he kind of like hyped himself up, like he kept saying he was going to knock him out in the first round. So when the fight started, he tried. He like over tried. Like he blew his gas tank immediately yeah. to try and knock the, knock Gilbert Burns out, and then he all of a sudden realized that when you get to the top five at welterweight, you can't just blitz through people yeah. like you were. But also, th- think about how think nothing. about how fortunate that is for him, yeah. though, because he won right. this. Fight. Oh, this was yeah. this you was know? the most important fight of of Hamza. Because like a lot of people career. do that strategy that you set at different divisions when they work their way yeah. up, and they lose. Yeah. you know. Yeah, and Hamza's growing pains are against literally the elite of the division now and he's still winning. This dude is a monster. Like like I said it for for a long time. Outside of Kamaru Usman, I would fa- I would probably assume the betting lines were would favor Hamza against every welterweight in the world outside of Kamaru and that's cuz Kamaru is the number 1 pound for pound fighter in the world. You think he'd be and favored I, over Colby? I mean, I'm thinking about yeah, this right Yeah. Now. After his fight mm-hmm. against Gilbert Burns, I would say so because he showed durability. He showed striking. He showed wrestling. He turned. Yeah. He, he showed. He showed scrambling. He showed parts of his game that we 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 hadn't seen yet. And Colby is not as hard of a puncher as Gilbert Burns. Right. Colby is not as good of a defensive grappler as Gilbert Burns. Like, yeah, Gilbert Burns is a, is an incredible striker from Sanford MMA, working with Henry Hoofs and all this stuff. But let's not forget, Gilbert Burns is one of probably the five best jiu-jitsu practitioners in all of mma right now 
He's his jujitsu credentials are are almost like now that Jacare's not in the UFC. If you want to tell me he's the best, I'm not going to argue. Uh, I would probably put a couple names above him, like Adolfo Vieta and uh, Andre Muniz above him in the middleweight division. But like he has that in his back pocket, where if you take him down, Gilbert Burns can just submit you. And Kamar and Hamza Shmaev still survived. Uh, he's absolutely like if you go look at the face off. How big, like, the ceremonial face-off. Gilbert Burns know, probably I weighed, know, like, 180, 185. Because he's not, because Gilbert Burns used to fight at lightweight and then went up to welterweight. Look at Hamza Shemaev. That dude was at least 200 pounds. He's essentially a light heavyweight cutting yeah, down to welterweight. So, good luck trying to stop him. I just have a one last question for you uh, in regards to this fight. Do you think this has done anything one way or the other? Or do you think he's going to be double dipping in terms of what division he pursues? He's gonna he'll have there he'll stick around a welterweight for That's a bit. What, yeah. Um. I think his fight against he'll fight Colby next, which I think will be big money, big business, especially if it's on ABC. If I'm the UFC, I make that fight in July. So there's two pay per views in July. There's International Fight Week and then there's July 30th. International Fight Week, I'm assuming, is going to be Izzy versus Jared Cannonier. And then you could do the fight the next then there's a there's a fight in between throw anything on there throw any fight on there and then the fight after that I would do Hamzat versus Colby in the main event five round main event on UFC on ABC not ESPN ABC Oh I got you yeah that'd be a that'd be a day fight huh That would be it might be it's it yeah. depends or it like depends. daytime west coast you know like like yeah. yeah yeah and then and then the next week would be I would put the welterweight title fight on the July 30th card. So the Hamzat-Colby fight feeds right into the welterweight title fight. Because then if Hamzat wins, you can fly him to wherever and sit him cage side, and then there you go. So you what's have the, the, photo what's the right title there. fight for that then? What's the welterweight title that'll fight? Be Kamar, that'll be Kamaru Usman versus Leon Edwards too. Yeah, which everyone's gonna, for, everyone kept saying... Oh, well, Hamzat skipped the line, and I kept telling everyone to shut up. Like, Leon Edwards has done more <laughs> than enough to yeah, deserve that shot. Yeah, that's, I mean, come on. But uh, the only thing I was going to say was to your scenario, which I, I love, I love, you know, as a booker, great work. Um, so this would close the book <laughs> on, in the short term for uh, Colby and yeah. Poirier? I, that's not happening. And it, mm-hmm. I don't think that'll happen. Uh, Dustin doesn't want to fight. Because uh, Colby wants that fight because it's it's – the well, rivalry is there, yeah. but Dustin sees through it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's one. Yeah, that's a fair point. And and I just you know week to week these things can change their fluid as we know. Uh, with Muhammad's victory last week or this past Saturday yeah. as we record this, he called out Colby as well. And you, I well, do want to get no, not happening. I know, but just giving props to a guy who has kind of reinvented himself and reemerged as a contender in this division. Like he's still a couple fights away. I think we would agree. But, I mean, that was a pretty thorough victory over a guy that was ranked higher than him. So, I think he's climbing again, which is good to see. He's right. I don't even think he's climbing. He's arrived. Bilal Muhammad, so like, his last yeah. – his last Bilal Muhammad's last loss was to Jeff Neal, like, three years ago. And then he's literally just – every fight he has is another step up in competition. And he just keeps winning. And, I like, he's lost, what, once yeah. since 2016? Like, at some point, he might not be the most exciting. He's a good interview. He's a fantastic—if you ever get the chance to talk to him or interview him or have him on any sort of show, 
the dude knows how to talk. He's a great analyst. He's on ABC. I mean, on ESPN. He is a he is great for the sport. He rep. He is very outspoken with his faith. Zayn Malik, the the freaking music music <laughs> superstars yeah. tweeting about him. Yeah. The man just the only knock on Bilal is of those like however many wins in a row he's had. Like since I want to say dating back to 2016, he's had one one stoppage win, hmm. and that was a submission win at like. And like the it was, and I, I think it was in like the third or fourth round. Outside of that, he's just beating fools up, Man. and then pulling off the victory. And like, no knock on him. A win is a win. That's all that matters. So at some point, you gotta get, you gotta give him a title. So if I'm a, if I'm the Booker, and we keep that scenario that I just laid out, I do Bilal versus Gilbert. That's the fight. That's to make. good. That actually is good. Man, that that division, I, it, it might be the the deepest. Right? Can we uh, say that? I would say lightweight. I I'd still say is the deepest. That's one fifty five. Because yeah. even if you look at if you look at like the like fifteen to twenty, <laughs> like there's still yeah. like fifteen to twenty could all be like Armin Sarukian, like Mateus yeah. Gamrot. That's true. Uh, what's Gregor Gilles? All these guys like those could like if you want to tell me in a year from now Armin Sarukian's the champion, I'll be like, yeah, that makes sense. Like he's what eleven or twelfth ranked, right? Like Rafael Fazeev is sitting at ten, I think, and that dude is a <laughs> yeah. savage. So I, that and maybe bantamweight might be a little deeper, yeah. but bantamweight has the best um, future. Like yeah, those prospects of bantamweight are something special. I do bring this up because you talked about cutting the line, and uh, there was an interview uh, over the uh, last couple weeks with a guy in Ireland who said he's just going to fight Kamaru Usman and just get a yep. title shot. And yep. uh, I just think it's hilarious too because you, we're starting to get a glimpse into the the one true McGregor side of it is that he does change his mind a lot. He changes yeah. his proclamations a lot. Uh, I don't want to see that fight for a couple of different reasons. One being, I don't think it's a good matchup at all. But we know what the cash cow still is after uh, all these years and all the results that didn't yeah. go his way. Yeah, I, I mean, I know he wants to fight Kamaro, Conor McGregor. I don't think that's going to happen. If I this is, and I've heard none of this. Like this is none, nothing is official. But I'm under the assumption. That if Justin Gaethje beats Islam, if uh, Justin Gaethje beats Charles Oliveira in Phoenix here in a couple weeks, I'm going to assume they do Justin Gaethje versus Islam Makhachev on Fight Island in October for the lightweight title. If Charles Oliveira wins, they're going to try to do Charles versus Connor in Las Vegas in December. Mm. Uh, I think that, or or maybe even Brazil. Who knows? Um, Connor obviously has a lot of history with the country of Brazil. Uh, <laughs> none of it good. Very out, none <laughs> of it good. Uh, Charles is rightfully the champion of the world right now, and you talk about reinventing yourself. That dude. That's, well, here's that's the a thing. Scary I mean, dude. You're, you're throwing out these scenarios, and it's like what Oliveira has done while almost repeatedly being counted out or just not really seen as the guy. If he beats Gaethje, and it's going to be a, a heck of a fight, oh. it's going to be – I can't wait for that fight. It's going to be great. But if he beats Gaethje, I mean, he will he will have gone Chandler, Poirier, and Gaethje back to back, to and back. Ferguson, and Ferguson before that. I mean, yeah, that's that that's something. I just you know the the Connor element's still there, still there. He is like Charles Oliveira. I know we're not really previewing that fight yet, but yeah. he has if you he he has I think the best resume in terms of accolades and lightweight history, like. He has the most finishes. How about ever. the way? Yeah, how about the way he's winning ever. these fights? Like right. it, it's Poirier, he jumps on his back. Chandler, he absorb he absorbs basically. It will be all thaw, saw that 10-8 first round, round and then yep. finishes him in the second. So he is not a boring fighter at all. He's got the perfect blend, and uh, yeah, yeah, I mean he's he went back most, to the well. 
most submissions, most finishes, most post-fight bonuses, most performance bonuses, most submission of the nights, like a couple submissions. The dude has a calf slicer. He submitted someone with a calf mm, slicer love that. in the UFC. Yeah, so, Connor's going to be like, a big The man dog is a that. savage. Connor's going to be a big underdog if that fight does happen. I'm just going to be previewing the betting lines now. <laughs> the, only thing, the, only, the only knock on Charles is he gets punched a lot. Yeah. If Connor, yeah. Connor needs to touch you one time. He's coming back after a very bad injury, but I, I hear what you're saying. Uh, more with Jose Youngs here from MMA Fighting, uh, the rest of that 273 card. Uh, did you have the fight for Sterling pretty handily? I know you were throwing out some time. I scored it. I scored at a draw. Oh, 47 okay. up. Yeah. I, guess I, I think a few. I saw it. And I don't even think that was that. I don't even think that's controversial. I think there was no, a 10 8 round in there. Yeah, I would agree, actually. Uh, I, I think it should have been yeah. a draw, but it's not a robbery by any sort. I'm not no, the no, biggest no. where we might disagree as a 10-8 round to me. I think it's more so like damage in certain situations. But I, you know, I'm with you on the fact that I think it was close enough to be a draw. I think that the scoring is difficult in certain fights where styles yeah. clash like this one. And uh, no, but I mean, Sterling went out there and definitely wasn't the same guy in the first fight. Props to him. Uh, that division is very interesting. I know you mentioned the mm-hmm. prospects, but the present is very good too. And we had Sterling, you know, he it was funny. He was playing the heel at first, and then he goes out and calls Dillashaw out immediately after he wins. So I, I think the present is pretty good for what these guys all do next. Yeah, I mean, he later went on air a Hawani show on my site, my, on MMAfighting.com, and said that maybe TJ doesn't deserve it because of what he did, and he would be down fighting Jose Aldo next because, you know, Jose Aldo's, like, rebuilt himself back up uh, after his loss to Peter Jan. Uh and I don't know a single fighter in the world that doesn't respect Jose Aldo. He's, as I like to call him, he's your favorite fighter's favorite fighter. Uh, there's a lot of videos backstage of people like other fighters meeting Jose Aldo and asking for photos and asking for autographs and this and that. So uh, if Jose, if anyone deserves that, it's Jose Aldo. Uh, but I guess TJ never, TJ never technically lost because he was taken away from him for cheating. Uh, so I get if the UFC wants to do that, I think that would be a big money fight. Uh, if, but if they want to do jo- – like, again, I'm not going to argue with Aljamain Sterling, Jose yeah. Aldo, or Aljamain Sterling, TJ. Uh, or if or if they want to do a third fight with Jan because the first one was so controversial, and then they do uh, Aldo, Dillashaw, I'd be fine with that too. Or if they want – yeah, or if they want to do Jan, Dillashaw, Jan, Aldo, I don't care. Triple that band threat. Of is so fun. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it is good. Uh, it, there's, there's a lot of good ones there the uh, last thing i have uh volkanovsky korean zombie uh when as unfortunately some people expected yeah moment of uh moment of, i don't want to say silence but just a moment of uh just you know reverence for what korean zombies poor, career has been but pour one out for zombie he took the fight uh it wasn't a good good matchup uh herb dean stopped it when he needed to um he's given us he's given you specifically some of the best fighting memories that you have so yeah Absolutely pouring out for him. Yeah, he's my, for those of you that know me, know that the Korean Zombie is my favorite fighter of all time. That being said, I picked him selfishly, but I knew mm-hmm. this, this something like this was going to happen. I, I said leading into this, like, Peter Jan looked unbelievable in his last few fights, so did Volkanovski, and I, I judge, I base my pound-for-pound pound rankings on accolades and wins, you know, like, yeah. level of competition and how you win. 
So, yeah, you might be a better fighter than someone, but you're just not there yet in terms of pound-for-pound rankings. But if we're just going skill set for skill set, I have no problem putting Volkanovski number one uh, over Kamara Usman in terms of just all-around skill set because every time he gets you better, see Alex... <laughs> Well, it's not even like that, too, but every time you see him fight, he's completely different because he tailors his game plan so specific that he's essentially never had back-to-back fights the same style because he he completely changes to fight you at your weaknesses, which is just something that we don't often see in MMA these days. That fight against Ortega was like one of my favorite fights. Well, that's the best thing that could have happened to his career. It was. It showed a lot in him. I agree with what you said. I think he's, I wouldn't even say quietly anymore, maybe quietly at first, but he's putting together a resume. Uh, he's doing very good things in that division, uh, in the featherweight division. We'll see what happens next. I know I know. Triple C wants to make a comeback. I know there's contenders out there, but he's at the top of his game, and we'll see what Max Holloway's health is. Congrats to him on just getting married, but... You know, it's Volkanovski at the top of the mountain, and he, he he is putting on a show when he's in there. Yeah, I I there's the problem right now is there's not a clear cut number one contender for him. If they want to do the third fight with Max, I don't think anyone's going to complain because people you know two of the three greatest featherweights of all time right there with Jose Aldo. I assume Calvin Cater is going to fight Arnold Allen in July. And I think the winner of that could be the number one contender, too, especially if it's Arnold Allen, because that dude is basically the Leon Edwards of the featherweight division. He's had a couple of long layoffs because of COVID and injuries and this and that. But the man just doesn't lose. He's just constantly winning in a row. And he beat the brakes off of Dan Hooker last time in London. So, oh, man, if Arnold Allen wins. I think that's the fight to make. But they still, he still has to fight Calvin Cater. He called out Calvin. Calvin called out him. Alex Volkanovsky has said, like, that's the, the number one contender fight. So the only thing we're waiting on is the UFC. I forgot about that hooker fight. That was pretty violent. Mm. Uh, yeah, there's been some there's been some violent ones recently, man. I was I remember watching Fight Night on Saturday, and uh, thinking the exact same thing. Uh, that said, last point on MMA, Jose, are we really going to see Stipe versus John Jones this summer? I hope so, man. Apparently, there's some holdup in the back end. I assume it's for John Jones's camp, but uh, you would have to assume that that fight's going to happen. And, I think the only question that we have is we have a handful of questions. When, where, and is there an interim title on the line? I think those are the only three questions we have because that fight is inevitable. That last question is my question. (laughs) And I think a lot of people have is, is there an interim title on the line given the injury, given the contract situation? There's a lot there, but see what happens, man. John Jones back. Steve hasn't fought in a while. Should be good. Uh, Jose, this has been a blast. Before I let you go, I have two quick things. One, maybe not so quick. Your Boston Red Sox take to start the year. Uh, ring. Uh, about as what I thoughts. expect. They're what are they? Five and five now. Five and mm-hmm. four. I don't even know off the top five of my head. And five. Uh, so they were. So they're what? In second. I I assume they're like tied with the Yankees. So mm-hmm. the whole the whole AL East is kind of nuts. The only thing that's going to hurt us is we have a couple players that aren't going to be allowed to play in Toronto, unfortunately, because they're idiots. Uh, so if we get that Toronto playoff series or we have to go, you know, cause we have to go to Toronto how many times this year, it's going to, I have a bad feeling it might come back to bite us. Uh, Chris sale, when he comes back, I think it'll be, a, it'll be, uh, we'll be scary, but I'm honestly, I would not, our, our bullpen is not great. Our prospects still aren't called up yet. So if we're going to win, it has to be now. Trevor story has been great. 
the problem is the AL East is so goddamn good. It's it's good, we, but it's but it's I mean it's going to cannibalize itself. You know, like, I think it, I right. I think. We could win. The Red Sox could win ninety games and come in like fourth place. Yeah, well, fifth is going to be the Orioles, but after that, I think you're going to be in the mix. It's just right. Toronto is expected to be better. Yankees. Toronto, I think is going to win. The Toronto, I think, will win the division uh, because of because like Aaron Judge can't play in Toronto either. Like, so I think that's going to play a big factor. Is a lot of their opposing team's best players aren't going to be able to play in Toronto. So I don't think Toronto is the better team, but I think they'll win the division. I think the Yankees scare me, and the Rays terrify me. The Rays are the scariest team in this division. I think like Franco is what twenty, I know. and it's they still have like all it. of their. They have all their prospects still in the in the in the minor leagues at this point. Like the, the the Rays, the Rays. But man, yeah. So we could come in. We could win eighty eight games and come in fourth place. <laughs> well, you're in the mix, so that that's all that matters. Yeah, in and, the mix. And I had to check up on it because I think you're the only person I know who's Mount Rushmore in life is like actually a five. You know, there's five heads on your Mount Rushmore, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, Do yeah. I have it right? Yeah, it's yeah. it's in no particular order. It's MMA. It's the Red Sox. It's comics. It's tattoos. And uh, it's probably pro wrestling fifth. Yeah, pa- wrestling and Packers interchangeable okay. at right. that point. Okay. Yeah, but I pretty much hit all the, all the high notes. You know, I I consume a lot of content. But what do you what are you what are the Guardians at now? Like four and five, something like yeah, that. Yeah, they, they can't hit. This is the same thing that no, always yeah. happens. You know, the the pitching's great, but outside of uh, J Ram, who got his new contract, which I was stunned oh, by, yeah. they actually paid somebody. It's great. Uh, but no, they got they gotta they gotta wake up there. I mean, the White Sox yeah, will be that division champion. That's I have a pretty confident feeling dude, in that. I think yeah, the, the White Sox, will, the, the Tigers, I think next year are gonna be an issue. They're coming up, and the Twins are like kind of in that you know that yeah. could go either way mode. Uh, the Royals are gonna be bad, yeah. so it's it's a lot. I, mean, I think the Royals, I think the Royals are the worst team in baseball. Man, I think I agree with you, but them or the Orioles. Dude, the Rangers are terrible, and they're going to be really bad this year. Like I know they're yeah. seven now. I just feel like the other teams in that division are going to be. I think. I feel the A's like, don't impress me at all. No, no, they won't make the playoffs. It's we were talking about this last week that the AL has a lot of new blood that could emerge sooner rather than later. The NL seems yeah. like way more predictable. Like I think could, it's the you know, it's the Dodgers. The Dodgers and everyone else at this point. Yeah, I wouldn't count. I wouldn't count out the Giants for what they've done. But yeah, the Dodgers yeah. Are, are are a cut above. The Giants are good. The Cardinals are good. You can't count out the Padres because they have all those superstars yeah. on that team. I think the Mets are imposters right now. What are they like yeah, eight and two, imposters. seven and three? They're gonna fall apart, and I assume the Braves will win that division. But uh, I think in the like moving forward, I think the Tigers and the Rays are gonna have like be wow. big issues because like the Tigers have a like a ton of the, like if you look at like the top 100 prospects like there's a ton from detroit and they're like yeah. two or three of them are just making the majors now well the dodgers uh could be there the tigers could be back in the mix sooner rather than later so we'll see hey last thing jose before i let you go we're that much closer to the realistic possibility of a celtic suns finals uh right oh. down the road from your, your apartment oh. so I don't think you're going to physically be like rooting against the Suns. I know you're a Celtics fan first and foremost, but and I know you can't boo Devin Booker, so it could be oh. a, it could be a seminal summer for you there. It would be tough, man. It'll be tough because like I, I love the Suns. I love Devin Booker. I love Chris. I love DeAndre Ayton. I love Mikael Bridges. Like I love. I love this team, and they've never won They're, before. That's the thing. No, like, you're, and you're... <laughs> and I've lived here for ten years. 
if the Suns win the finals, this city is going to burn to the ground. Oh. It is in like a good way. Like I joke, like we joke. If you if you ever came to visit, like say the Indians, like the Guardians are in town, and you come to like a D-backs game, it's going to be eighty percent Guardians fans. Same as like when the Browns play in the Cardinals. It's yeah, gonna they're be like the, they're 65% the they're, they're the most popular team in the city. Yes. Oh, it, without yeah. question, it is when the Suns are playing well. Arizona, all of Arizona rejoices, and it doesn't. It it helps that like their superstar Devin Booker is like half Mexican, and like this whole state is Mexican, so that's like a big deal. Chris Paul has been welcomed. DeAndre Ayton is from here. He went to college here, so this team is so fun. We find they finally renovated the stadium. It's smack in the middle of downtown, and if the Suns win the NBA Finals, this city will burn to the ground. It will be unbelievable. They were the best team in basketball by eight games over number two oh, in yeah. Memphis. So they were and the best I, regular I, season team by far. And everyone keeps everyone keeps like putting their nose up and like like because like they're obviously teams in the West that scare me. Like the war like like the Warriors scared me for a bit. Well, like the group it's, is... it's the it's the you know scar tissue of never winning before and kind of choking in the past or just not getting it done that I think scares people. But if you just look objectively at the rosters, at the team, at the accomplishments, the Suns are the best team in basketball. Now with that comes a lot of pressure. How they handle it is one thing. Yeah. But they're not going to be tested until at least the Western Conference Finals and then they're in the Final Four, you know? I think they're I think they're a pretty good bet to make the final finals, whether it's the Bucks defending their title, the Heat everybody seems to count out. You know, Brooklyn's going to be a prop with that Brooklyn Boston series. Whoever wins, that's mm. going to have huge momentum going forward, and that I think is going to go seven because I think insane. I, I think what will like and dude, who like did you watch that Sixers game today? Like, who's going to stop that team? Like that team looks like they're clicking oh, too. Yeah, it's, um, I would I would the the thing that I think it will be Sun Celtics because they are the two best defensive teams in basketball in basketball. Like they prioritize defense so much and on the flip side you got players like Devin Booker and Jason Tatum who can just light up the score sheet they're just a complete team that plays unbelievable defense and that is how you win championships I can't wait man I can't wait for it I'm gonna go into debt if that happens I'm going into debt sorry about it (laughs) you'll be down you'll be hey hey, either way you need the Suns in the finals first of all because it'll be in town and if you get Sun Celtics, that's icing on the cake. So, uh, my biggest fear, right? My biggest fear before you go is so I'm going to Singapore for UFC 275. That I might be in in Singapore for the NBA Finals. Wow. Well, I'm sure there'll be people watching, but it, yeah, you, it would be. I just have to. I just have to watch at two in the morning. <laughs> yeah, so that's a long night for you. Uh, Jose Young's pleasure as always. We'll make sure we catch your stuff on MMA fighting, but. Uh, Thanks again for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. You got it, boss. Anytime. That's it for this week's show. Huge thanks to both guests, Brandon Marcus and Jose Youngs, for appearing on the Money Mitch Effect, as they always do, and bringing the heat. Always a blast talking to two of my good friends who are just very insightful and have a lot of fun in doing it. If you like this episode of The Money Mitch Effect, you can find the entire catalog on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, where all your podcasts are listed. We are there. Leave a rating, a review, subscribe. 
check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page, as well as follow me on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21 for some sports and other takes there. We've got a lot to talk about next week. There will be an extensive draft show. We're also going to be talking some hockey uh, with the playoffs around the corner. Can't wait for that. NFL draft, hockey playoffs, basketball playoffs, MLB season starting, tennis season picking up, Kentucky Derby. There's so much going on. I absolutely love it. For Brandon Marcus and Jose Youngs, I am Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you for listening and keep enjoying sports.